Welcome to You Need a Coach, Bitch. I'm your host, Chris Hale. I'm a certified life coach and coach instructor. I'm also a master dance educator and self-proclaimed Zenial Pop Diva. Every week, I bring you a conversation to help you harness your inner authority by popping the patriarchy and crafting the life of your dreams. Are you ready to unleash your inner creator? Let's go. Hi, friends. How are you all doing? Are you okay? I'm feeling a lot of things. Um, and if you're listening to this on the day it's released, then it is Thanksgiving. So I hope this finds you enjoying whatever kind of day best restores you. And if you have to work today or you're in a situation that is less than ideal, I hope that spending just this little bit of time with me is a comfort for you. The first thing that I want to do today is to honor the lives lost in the shooting at Club Q in Colorado. Um, Ashley Paw, Raymond Green, Daniel Davis Aston, Derek Rump, and Kelly Loving. May they rest in peace. And I want to send all the love and light and energy to their families and loved ones. It is such a senseless, senseless tragedy. Um, and any loss by violence to our community is devastating. But I have to say that it is getting increasingly more difficult to handle as we so clearly see the direct correlation between anti-queer and anti-trans rhetoric by politicians and this kind of attack on the spaces that are supposed to be our safe havens. People who dehumanize us are definitely responsible for violence against us. It is plain and simple. And I, I wanted to do this episode about what to do with your feelings. And the first thing I want to stress is that thought work and coaching are not always the first step. Um, when we run to coaching or thought work, it can often be uh, our desire to avoid our negative emotions that's really driving us there. Um, and this is a tragedy. So the first step is going to be grieving, right? We're going to grieve for the lives lost and we're going to have like sympathy for their loved ones and sympathy for those who are injured. And we're going to hold space and energy for the people who have been traumatized by this. And we, we do also want to celebrate the heroes. We want to celebrate um, this army veteran who stepped in Richard Fierro. And we want to acknowledge this trans woman who stepped in as a hero. So our community is so strong and so amazing. And that is definitely something to take a little bit of, I don't know, solace in, in a time like this. And then it's, you know, we have to acknowledge what it might mean for us personally, like, or what your brain is making it mean for you. Um, with every one of these offenses, we lose even more of a sense of safety, right? Like, not that we had such a huge sense of safety to begin with, and depending on where you live, right, if you live in a smaller space, more rural, um, you definitely probably feel less of a safe sense of safety than if you live sort of like in a big city that has like a strong queer community, like New York City or San Francisco or Los Angeles or Seattle or Chicago, like these places that have more um, of a community. But 
there is sort of right a compounding or a more a more of a a deterioration of our sense of safety. So that's something to acknowledge because that's something to grieve. And then once once you're done with that and maybe then process some emotions and kind of figured out what's going on for you, the next step is trying to wrap your brain around a concept that I think is super important, not just here, but is sort of the platform for rewiring your brain, and that is duality. So holding two beliefs that seem diametrically opposed to one another as truths at the same time. And this is, duality is something that I talk about a lot because it is it is part of the step, like in terms of thought work and re, re-patterning your brain, it is one of the steps to doing that is that like when you're trying to change a thought pattern, you're going to have two beliefs that feel really true to you at the same time. And there is this sort of cognitive dissonance there that like is uncomfortable. And if we can sort of get through that, then it is easier to change that thought. Then there are times when we're not going to be able to move into a new thought. We just have to accept that two things can coexist and be true at the same time. And then it's just like managing that that space and that experience. I was actually inspired to do this specific episode around this topic because a friend of mine shared a post by Dr. Joan Chan, and it was so simple and powerful, and I think it wrapped up this idea of duality so simply. And it really also ties back into what we talked about last week in terms of like burnout and stress and and completing stress cycles and right creating a safe space for ourselves. So we've talked before about having your own back and being willing to feel all the feelings and creating a safe space for yourself to experience any emotion. And this kind of just takes it to the next level for me because um, we'll also be making space for the discomfort of the cognitive dissonance, right, in holding those two truths. So the statement that she shared, um, which prompted me, I'm going to say it out loud, and I invite you to actually say these, these statements out loud yourself. And so if you want to like say, like, you know, I'll read it, you want to pause it, you want to say it out loud to yourself and just kind of see what comes up for you. Um, That could be one way of interacting with this particular episode. Um, Or you can just keep listening and just see what you notice. Um, But maybe you want to come back to this, like if you're driving or you're doing something else, you might want to come back to this episode later and kind of do this. Or, um, find some other kind of do do out like dual what am I trying to say find some other like sentences or things that you're trying to like hold duality around um and see kind of like where you where you sit with them so if you have the chance just maybe say this out loud to you and notice right how your body responds to each sentence not your mind right not what your mind does with it but like your actual physical feeling body Here we go. So this was um, Dr. Chan's post. Safety is available inside of me, even when I'm experiencing danger. Happiness is available inside of me, even when I am experiencing sorrow. Health is available inside of me, even when I'm experiencing disease. Ease is available inside of me, even when I am experiencing worry. 
So how did each of these feel for you? Like for me and for many of my listeners who are coaches, right? You're probably like, yeah, I understand these cognitively, um, right? I've been trained to accept that circumstances are neutral and that it is possible to have hundreds of opposing thoughts about every circumstance and that I get to decide which ones I want to believe. So I know that consciously, but most things are not controlled by our conscious mind, which is why tuning into the body is going to give you more information about where you're at. As I read through these for myself the first time, the first one I noticed that I had an ex- a bodily experience with that felt true to me, right? That like, which, which I, when I say it felt true, I just mean that I didn't feel any resistance to it. it. And it was that happiness can be present inside of me alongside sorrow. And I think most of us have actually experienced a moment like this right? One way, in some way, right? When we've we've sort of said something like, oh, that was really bittersweet. Um, an example might be like the absence of a loved one on a special day for whatever reason, right? You're able to simultaneously feel the joy that comes from all the positive feeling thoughts. And you also feel the sadness from the negative feeling thoughts that come up from like wishing they could be there or whatever like flavor of that thought comes up. And the thing is, one doesn't have to win. In that situation, it's it's not an either or, it's a both and. So when I speak the thought, or when I think it, and I feel into it, that like happiness is available to inside of me, even when I'm experiencing sorrow, I actually feel really comforted by that. There is this like stillness in my body. I'm, I'm at rest. And it my body feels like a safe place for me to be. So that's kind of what we're going for with this idea of creating a safe space within ourselves. That's that's a feeling that I can come back to or try to recreate. But then when I was thinking about like health, right, being available inside of me, even when I'm experiencing disease, this I actually, that one causes a bit of constriction in my body. And when I feel that constriction in my body, I notice I go straight to my brain and I start having all these thoughts that want to argue with it. So that's a that's when I'm noticed that I've shifted to the brain because I wasn't feeling safe in my body. I didn't like the feeling in my body, so I was like, "Oh, let's get out of here." So now that I notice that, like I can shift back into my body and sit with that constriction and eventually it's going to die out. Like we know that uh, like feelings don't really last that long, right? They might last a minute. They might last 90 seconds, right? Um they could last less. So if I just sit with it and I practice breathing and being with it, then I've taught myself how to be with that constriction. So I can sit with it, be with that constriction, and then maybe using some breathing techniques um, to kind of regulate my nervous system can help me create even more safety around that dissonance. So one breathing technique that I really like is a square breath, right, where you like inhale for four hold the breath for four, exhale for four, and then hold again. And you can come like do that a few times. Um, or you could like inhale like quickly and then exhale for a longer count. Like, so that's actually a breath that 
is really consistent throughout gyrotonic, which I'm certified in. It's like a, it's a movement modality. Um, and that's one of the main breathing patterns of like a sniff breath through your nose and then a long exhale from your mouth. Right. So that helps to kind of regulate the nervous system. Um, another fun one, if you're kind of trying to shift a state is a fire breath. So you would um, keep your mouth closed and rapidly inhale and exhale through your nose for like 10 to 20 seconds. So it's like a, right? So it has that same kind of sniff feeling, but it's like a rapid breath. And then you can do like a long inhale and then exhale and let it all out. So after doing that, right, after coming up against that dissonance, that discomfort, leaving your leaving your body and going to your brain, bringing yourself back into the body, practicing the breathing, you might notice from that place, right, where you've calmed your nervous system, that it can be easier to entertain the thought. And it might be easier, or it should be easier to approach it from a place of curiosity, So then I can start asking myself, like, how can it be possible for health and disease to both be present, to both coexist in me at the same time? And when I asked myself this question, the first thing that came to my mind was when I have an injury. So if I have like a localized injury, like in my ankle, it's possible for the other parts of my body to be well, right, to be not injured, If I sprained my ankle, I experienced like a traumatic moment where something happened and now I have this inflammation and I have this response and there is going to be another part of my body that feels neutral or good that is not injured. So that's one way that those two things can exist at the same time. Another one is if I have a cold, right? The symptoms of the cold are not the virus. The symptoms are actually my body fighting the virus. So my health response is actually functioning exactly how it's designed to function when I feel those symptoms. So that must mean that disease and health are coexisting because there is this bug inside me, right? Like this is this, there's this thing that my body doesn't like, but my body is responding to it by like doing what it's supposed to do to rid myself of it. So that's another way that like health and disease are existing within my body at the same time. And then I think, you know, This one I didn't have a lot of resistance to, ease and worry coexisting. And um, that's an interesting one because for like, for me, like I just believe that worry serves no purpose. Um, I've heard it said before, and I don't really know who said it first, but that worry pretends to be necessary or it pretends to be important. Like we just, we don't need to worry. There's no need to worry. Now, logically, I understand that and that's great. But for some of you, like when you're stuck in worry, for instance, no amount of like repeating a mantra like that is going to cut it. But finding some ease with the worry might be, well, a little bit easier. So how can you make whatever you're doing in that moment of worry easier? Um, I was actually working with a client recently on finding more ease around doing workshops. And I asked what made it hard for her. Like, what was she, what was she worrying about? Like, why, why couldn't it be easy? And for her, it was um, finding time to prepare. And that brought up this, that she like has a lot of scarcity around time. So instead of like 
focusing on the time scarcity in that moment, I asked her like how much time she thought it was going to take her to prepare and what did preparing look like? And it turned out that like she didn't even really need that much time. So we didn't have to make, right, the worry about time disappear. We just kind of questioned it a little bit. We questioned that other premise around how much time it would actually take instead of how much time she actually had. Because the worry is all about like running out of time. And so in that moment, I'm able to like bring her into like, well, you don't actually need that much time. So the worry about the time can still exist. It can be there. But we're just going to like refocus into this one particular of like a moment of preparation and challenge the amount of time it's actually going to take. This is the path of least resistance here. Because dismantling time scarcity is not going to happen like in the 20 minutes we had left in our session. So this is how I created some ease with her. Like I made it a little bit easier for her to kind of like find a way around this that wasn't like, let's dismantle your time scarcity. (laughs) It also brought up like awareness around how her brain was like really sneakily reinforcing how her brain was really like sneakily reinforcing the pattern around time scarcity. So now that she has that awareness, anytime she starts to worry about things, she can kind of look for where it might be related to this story that she doesn't have time and then focus back in on like, okay, but like what, how much time do I need? Right. Versus like staying with the thought loop of there isn't enough. And then lastly, this idea of feeling safe even when we're experiencing danger. And I know that that's going to sound kind of crazy for a lot of people, that you can in fact feel safe within your own body, even when you might be physically unsafe, like from outside circumstances. But this is kind of the work that we've been talking about all along, especially with last week's episode around nervous system regulation. It's about your relationship with yourself and your relationship to the cues, right, that your body is giving you to that stress response that you're having. So on 9-11, I was stuck on a subway in New York City. And they came on the speaker system and told us, like, while we were stuck between stations, that there was terrorist activity going on in the city. And the lights were out and we were just being held there. And that they they told us they were going to be evacuating the train. But like, we didn't know what terrorist activity meant. So, you know, I sat there in the dark and I was just like terrified and I felt all these feelings. And I definitely like dissociated that day. And I still only really have pieces of mem- memory. But anyway, like after that, um, I would have panic attacks on the subway And for a long time, I didn't even really associate it with that day. I didn't know what it was from. And eventually, like, through therapies and stuff, I realized what it was about. But um, I, I learned how to not interpret that physiological experience as meaning I was in danger, right? Like, on that on that day, I might have been in danger. I didn't know what was going on. I definitely went into fight or flight. But after that, like just riding the subway on a normal day, like there was no, there was no obvious threat, right? And so, but I would have this like bodily response. I would have this start to have this stress response. And I learned over time, right? Like, okay, my heart beating fast and my palms sweating, like this, re- this reaction that I'm having right now does not mean 
that I am not safe. And I learn how to not interpret those messages as danger. Um, and I learned how to soothe myself and how to create a safe space within me. And I want to say that this is probably one of the most important things you can do, right, is learn how to do that, is to learn how to, like, be in your body and calm your nervous system, or at least, like, if you can't in that moment, recognize what's happening and know that you're going to need to complete that stress cycle later. This is going to be so useful for you, especially as like like our safe spaces become increasingly less safe. Um, another person I follow on Instagram, Connor McKenzie, posted something to the effect of, I can't remember exactly what the post said, but something like, you know, they're going to come to our safe spaces and kill us anyway. We might as well live out loud, like, all the time. And I do truly believe that us continuing to persist and exist in the face of hate is one of the biggest rebellions against these bigots. But, right, that can feel really scary and really unsafe because we're putting ourselves out there and being vulnerable. But, like he said, if they're going to come for us anyway, we're already vulnerable, And the only way that you're going to be able to like really go out there is by creating that safe space within your own body. Like your body needs to be a safe haven, even when the world is not externally safe around you. And that's so that like at the end of the day, when you come home, right, you can shake off that stress, complete that stress cycle and not burn yourself out because we need energy. This is a long fight. This isn't going anywhere. And we need the energy to sustain. And the best thing that we can do for ourselves is to practice some of these tools, right? And this tool of duality is going to be a really big game changer for you, especially if you haven't been able to kind of reconcile um, the way that you want to live out in the world and also the idea that like it makes you more, more vulnerable. This is going to be a tool that can really, really help you with that. So I hope that you find some peace with this and some relief with this. I'd love to know how it works for you, if you're able to kind of tap into it or what roadblocks you have to being able to kind of hold this idea of duality, to hold this idea of um, opposing truths, if that's difficult for you and if where, where it's difficult for you. So please feel free to reach out. You can email me at chris at theonlychrishale.com or slide into my DMs on Instagram. I am here for you. Everybody have a safe, happy, healthy holiday. If you are loving the podcast, it's time to put a ring on it. It would mean the world to me if you would do one or all of these things. First off, Subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts or all the places podcasts are available if you want to be extra. While you're there, giving a five-star rating and leaving a review would be epic. And lastly, spreading the love by sharing your favorite episode would be beyond. Thanks, love. We'll talk soon.